Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 11 of Faith, Tech, and Space. I'm your host, Rich Hay from WindowsObserver.com. Good to be back with you just two weeks after we recorded episode 10. That's right. Don't adjust your TVs or channels or audios or podcasts or anything like that. This is really me, really behind the microphone, just two short weeks after recording episode 10 of the show. So good to be with you. It's always a pleasure to be with you, actually. Um, And maybe we might be settling into a pattern. I don't know. You know, two in a row is just two in a row. But once we start to string them together, then we're doing a whole nother ball of wax. Uh, Leading off to tell you that one thing I have changed from over the last few weeks is I've attempted to live stream via YouTube using OBS Studio, a piece of software that lets you set up screens and all that kind of stuff. Pretty cool stuff, actually. Learned a lot. Um, I have opted to stop doing the live stream and the recording on my YouTube channel. Wasn't getting very many views uh, at the time, and I I'd rather focus my energies on the audio side. It does require a little bit of extra work for preparation and getting things rolling and switching between computers as before I start recording the audio. And when I'm challenged for time, as I have been because of all the things I'm involved in in classes and formation and stuff, I would just rather uh, focus on the audio side. So that's where I'm at. That's why I'm here. That's what we're about to talk about. So let's jump into a little bit of the opening news. Probably the big shocker from this week was the announcement from Microsoft on Friday morning that they have decided not to reopen their retail stores. They are going to close down all of their retail stores worldwide. There's about 70 here in the U.S., I think a total of just over 100, give or take. Um, one thing they are going to keep open are what they call the, the uh, experience centers, Um, So these are stores like in New York, London, I think there's one in uh, Melbourne or somewhere down in Australia. There's four of them total. And these stores are going to be, they're going to look a lot like the Microsoft retail store. But what they're going to be is you're going to be able to go in there and experience Microsoft technologies, Microsoft hardware, Microsoft software. Uh, services, all that kind of stuff. Put your hands on the devices and stuff. I and you know I, I wouldn't rule out that you would be able to place an order in in the store right then, but that's not their focus. I gotta imagine you're going to do those that ordering from home in the future. So um, what they've done over the last few months, you know, they've been closed uh, because of the pandemic. And over the last few months, the the retail store employees have been supporting customers from home, doing troubleshooting, doing lessons, doing training, doing all the stuff that they would do in store for the most part, except for selling physical hardware and things, um, doing them from home. And so in this transition, uh, those folks are going to continue to do that kind of work. So Microsoft has uh, discovered that th- there's some value in that, and it's a it's a different level of customer service and things of that nature. So I'm not sure how it will ultimately integrate with the overall customer service or customer support aspect of Microsoft, but those folks are going to retain their jobs based on what I'm reading and hearing. Um, you know, it's unfortunate. It was a lot of fun to visit the Microsoft stores wherever they were. If you're listening to this podcast, it's potential that you w- might have visited one as well. I know, certainly know everyone who's an MVP that's ever been to Seattle has visited the stores there. Um, we have a store here in Jacksonville. In fact, I've got links here at the top of the show notes of the four different stories I wrote around the 2012-2013 timeframe when we knew and discovered a store was coming to Jacksonville via some job listings. 
And then I discovered the location of the store out at a place called St. John's Town Center, uh, which is nearby where the Best Buy was I was working at at the time as the Microsoft consultant. And then we saw the actual storefront go up, and then we, we were there for the grand opening in November of 2013. So a lot of fun. It's unfortunate, but I'm, I'm really glad to hear that Microsoft is keeping those folks employed that were working in the stores. Um, it's tough in retail. Retail costs a lot. You know, the last few months they've been shut down but still paying rent, still paying some level of utilities and things like that. I think I read that Microsoft is going to take about a $450 million tax hit this fiscal year. Because of this change, and they got end of fiscal years coming up in just a couple days, uh, or maybe it's July, end of July. Um, so lots going on there in the retail world when it comes to Microsoft. So it's one less place you'll see them out there, and that's unfortunate. I, I've, uh, I've bought a few of my Xboxes at the Microsoft store, and uh, it's just great fun to go in and out of there. All right, let's jump into the faith part of the show. Um, little bit update on our two local classes. So locally, um, we have wrapped up for year one. This has been our aspirancy year. Um, so I think I mentioned, may have mentioned last time we had just finished our final Patristics class. I have two papers due. One's a pastoral experience paper. Uh, and then I have a paper due on St. Augustine. My pastoral experience paper is going to be in somewhere in the ballpark of three to four pages, about a thousand words. Uh, the St. Augustine paper is going to be a, a little bit bigger than that, about twice that size, about 22,000, 2,500 words. Um, so that is my focus right now. Um, here locally, we are planning on our annual retreat and vocations boards interview in August. We have a four-day retreat, so we will do that. Uh, the, the vocations board interview is attended not only by me as the, as the aspirant, but my wife attends this. She also attended the board where we were interviewed last year. Uh, in fact, be, uh, through the process of the permanent diaconate, uh, my wife has to grant permission in a written letter to the bishop that she is okay with me pursuing this and discerning this um, this ministry, this uh, the potential of ordination. So she will be there once again with me at the vocations board interview to talk. They'll talk to both of us, but also there to grant her consent again as well. Um, and then following that, September we start classes back up locally again. And then uh, we have our right of candidacy mass that's scheduled. So if everything goes well with the two papers, which I don't expect there to be a problem there, uh, and then we have our vocations board at the annual retreat. And coming from that, we then have the right of candidacy mass. That's where we're presented to the bishop and uh, as candidates for holy orders for ordination to the permanent diaconate. Uh, and so that's a, that's a significant step along the way of, of this discernment. And then we'll have two more years of formation going on. Um, and also locally, one other task that I have at hand shortly um, will be to pick up an ALB. Uh, if you're familiar with vestments in a lot of different faith uh, backgrounds, um, the ALB is that white robe that is worn underneath the vestments that are on top, whether it be a, uh, for a priest, a stole, and a chasuble. The stole is the strip of cloth that goes around his neck. Um, and, then, and then they also wear, a priest wears a... Um, Oh my gosh, I'm drawing a blank on it. Hang on a minute, I just had it in my head. Um, a stole and chasuble. So a priest wears a chasuble, doesn't have arms. Um, whereas a deacon wears a dalmatic, is the formal vestment. And then a deacon also wears a, um, a stole, but it's worn across the chest and breast from right to le- from left to right. So um, left to right, I think that's right. Um, so anyway, the alb is what we wear underneath of that. 
it hides our street clothes. So I'm required to get one of those before the right of candidacy mass. So on August 8th, my mentor and I are going to go to St. August, Augustine, where we have a shrine and a shrine shop and to do some shopping for my first alb. Uh, online, we continue at Josephinium with our class on the four gospels. That's the synoptics of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. Uh, we're learning that we just started. So we've done, Ma- we started with Mark. We just finished Matthew last week, and now we are in our first week with uh, John, and or I'm sorry, with Luke. And it's interesting as we, we are working in Luke because Luke was written by the same human author that Acts was written by. So so St. Paul, it, it, the tradition says that St. Paul uh, shared his experiences, and Luke documented those experiences, especially late in his life, and then wrote that as the Acts of the Apostles. So that's the first steps of the church, the new church that was uh, after Jesus' ascension back to heaven. So uh, that the books of Luke and Acts of the Apostles were written by the same human author. Uh, as I mentioned before, we, we believe all the Gospels to be in, uh, inspired word, the inspired word of God, but they're also written by a human being uh, who was inspired to write those words. So we're doing that right now. We'll have three full weeks with uh, Luke, and then we'll have three full weeks with John, uh, which was written by St. John, uh, the, the original apostle. And um, then that will wrap up this scripture class for this summer. So sometime in the first week of August, we'll wrap that up. We'll have a couple, three weeks off. And then in September, we start our fall class. And I can't remember off the top of my head what our fall class is going to be, but I, I do believe it's a, a scripture study of some form. Um, so that's where we're at with the online stuff as well. So it continues to go very well. Uh, for those of you who might be Catholic that are listening, I do want to include a couple of discussion points with you because in this day and age of the pandemic, uh, I know I'm on social media. I mean, I'm on social media a lot anyway. It's kind of the nature of my job and what I do and, and how I interact with folks. But I saw an interesting, uh, there's a website called the Jesuit Post, the, and I have a link in the show notes for this. But uh, one of the authors there wrote um, the Ten Commandments for Catholic Twitter. And it talks about uh, the different times that, you know, while communications and social media can have a role, you need to you need to take a break every once in a while. You need to evaluate how you're tweeting or what you're tweeting and things like that. So a real interesting read right there. Um, The other one is I wanted to point you towards a discussion. uh, And this is a discussion that was generated by Bishop Robert Barron. He he is a a bishop, an auxiliary bishop out in California. And uh, he, um, he he's 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 well known for his series called Catholicism. Very much a, a new media type person has been communicating via the internet and other media for a very very long time. Um, but he, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about the statue stuff that, that are being happening and things like that. And there was a statue targeted out in California of um, of uh, Saint Junipero Serra in San Francisco. And uh, there's a whole discussion around who should be protecting these things, who should be saying something about it, and things of that nature. And Bishop Barron writes about the role of the of the the clergy and the role of the laity. Laity is the us everyday folks, right? Us, us people that are members of the church, but we're not ordained or we're not religious or anything like that. So he talks about that, and it's an extremely interesting discussion. And he talks about some of the info from Vatican II and Lumen Gentium, which was a document that came out of Vatican II about the laity and about our vocation and our role as, as a member of the body of God and, and the, the, the role of priest, prophet, and king that we hold as well. So very interesting reading there. And then the last one I want to point you to, you may have already heard uh, some discussion around this young man. His name is Carlo 
Cutis. He's Italian, born in London, lived in the Milan area, uh, died at 15 due to an illness. Um, but he is about to be beatified on October 10th. And beatification is that first step in the role towards uh, sainthood. And so at, at a beatification, someone is called blessed. So he'll be known as Blessed Carlo Acutis. And the reason why he's drawing so much attention is not only because of his age. I mean, he only just died uh, let's see, he was, so it would have been about 20, 2010 or so um, that he passed away at 15 due to his illness. But from early on, he had a, a massive fascination with uh, his faith, uh, the Catholic faith, communion, the Eucharist, and all of that. And so he also learned how to be a computer programmer at a very young age. And so he built one of the first websites that documented nearly 200 Eucharistic miracles. And that has been turned into exhibit that travels the world. I got to see it a few years ago here in Jacksonville during our Eucharistic Congress. And it's an amazing thing. And the one thing about it is his name's not on it anywhere. It was done and he wanted it to be the Eucharistic miracles, not about him. Um, but he is uh, receiving credit for his saintly life or his blessed life at this point on earth in his short life and what he did for people and, uh, and his devotion to that kind of stuff. So if you want to read a little bit about him, you can, because many say that he will be the, um, uh, the patron saint for gamers, computer programmers, computer users, the Internet, and things of that nature. Um, and, and just for clarity in the Catholic Church, in order to be beatified, they had to attribute a miracle to the intercession of Carlos. So uh, there's a Brazilian, there's been several that have been documented, but the specific one for his beatification was about a Brazilian boy who was born with a congenital anatomic anomaly in his pancreas, which made him unable to eat solid food. Uh, and so they prayed a novena to Carlo, Carlo, which is a novena of prayers, a novena of the rosary, nine days. Uh, and uh, the young boy wished to no longer be having to vomit and dealing with stuff. And then just three days later, uh, he was healed and able to eat solid foods. And then when the doctors examined his pancreas, the issue was healed. So that's the miracle that has been attributed to uh, Carlos uh, for his beatification. So again, go read the link on here. It's interesting life that this young man led and uh, the, the impact he had on people. No doubt about it. Okay, let's jump into one final story kind of related to faith. Uh, and it's a kind of funny story now, a couple hours later. Um, so, as I've mentioned before, I've been helping to live stream the Mass since uh, late March, mid to late March, in my parish, in my church. Um, <clears throat> so, we continue to do that. So, six days a week at 8 a.m. at the Mass, we live stream the Mass via Facebook Live. It has gone fairly well. We ha we've only had a couple minor issues in the past, but nothing that we've never been able to surmount. Well, this, and, and so when I, when I get in the car, I plug my Android phone up into my car. I have CarPlay on the, my Volkswagen Tiguan. I listen to a little bit of music on my way in via Spotify. I have a Christian uh, contemporary music playlist. And um, when I get hooked on a song, I tend to put it in, on repeat a lot because I like to learn the words and hear the words and hear the flow of the song. It drives people crazy, but I, I, that's how I like to get connected to a song. So anyway, I got to church. I pulled my phone out of my car, unplugged it as I normally do, went in, set up for Mass, and did everything the way I normally do. However, one of the things I do is I plug in a lavalier mic that's wired, about it's got about a 20-foot cord, and I have the mic pinned to the altar cloth so it picks up the reader and it picks up the priest while they're doing the Mass, celebrating the Mass. Well, unbeknownst to me, maybe there was a recent update or something, I'm not sure, but when you plug that microphone into the phone, 
it senses it as a set of headphones, all right? And like I said, this hasn't happened in the past, so I have to assume maybe there was an update. I don't know. But so you know what happens when you plug headphones into a phone that is on pause from playing music, right? The music starts playing. So the moment I hit the start button on the live stream for our mass, that music started playing in the background. And depending on how loud or or low the volume was on the live stream, the music would take prominence. And so throughout 45 minutes of live streaming a mass, unbeknownst to me, this song was playing on repeat over and over and over again, every three minutes cycling through, right? Now, when I set and record the mass, I set about 10 or 12 feet away from the phone. And so I can see if something pops up on the screen as a message or something, but I ignore it and I just let the live stream go. It wasn't, it wasn't until afterwards I found out this was, was severely interfering with the stream of the live mass. So I had a discussion about, we had to delete it, of course, because of copyright concerns. We can't, we can't risk there being a copyright strike against us for that. Um, and we have license for the church music, for the, the, the worship music we play, but not for a song by Brandon Heath. So it's gone. It's no longer live. It's no longer on the internet. But boy, howdy, have I learned a lesson. And now do I have a new addition to my checklist before I start the live stream every day? going to check and make sure Spotify is completely shut down. Okay, let's move on to the next thing. In the Windows Insider world, right, I've decided over the last, um, since I started Faith Tech and Space, I've been telling you the builds for all the development channels and uh, for Edge, Microsoft Edge, right? Well, I decided I'm going to do the same thing when it comes to the Insider builds. And what you don't know that happened since, well, you do know, I haven't mentioned it on this podcast, is that Microsoft has finally moved away from Insider channels or I'm sorry, in, uh, the Windows Insider rings, fast ring, slow ring, release preview ring, to Insider channels. Now we have the dev channel, we have the beta channel, we have the release preview channel. So I'm going to break down for you where they all stand and how they kind of fit. But let's talk about what builds we've got out there. So in the dev channel, this is what used to be fast ring. Build 20152 is the latest build in that ring. We just got that this past week. The beta channel. 19042.330. The so dev channel is quote unquote Windows 10 V next, okay? But it's actually the base of where Windows 10 version 21 H1, the first update of next year, uh, will come from. So I'm I'm referring to that as a 21 H1 build, okay? Beta channel is for um, 20 H2. That is the release coming up later this year in the fall. That is going to be a cumulative update. So it's going to be very similar to uh, 19H2 last year. Uh, so it'll be monthly. We'll get regular cumulative updates over the next several months as they prep that for release this coming fall. And then we have release preview channel. Now, right now, release preview channel is the same build, 19041.329, that Windows 10 version 2004 is on. That's because Release Preview Channel right now, up until this fall, is going to uh, test the cumulative updates before they land for the release, the production release of Windows 10 version 2004. And then sometime later this year, probably after um, uh, some at some point in the life of 20H2, we should see 20H2 move into Release Preview Channel. And then at that time, we should see 21H1 move from dev channel to beta channel. So they'll kind of cascade like that, all right? <clears throat> and that's the plan for those. Um, so I've got a link here to the blog post about Windows Insider channels. And uh, the new change here, and what's important to note, is one, these channels, dev, beta, 
align with other programs like Office Insider, Skype Insider, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Same thing for Microsoft Edge, same thing for Microsoft Teams. So there's a better alignment across the company. Um, but before fast ring, slow ring used to be a, a, a cadence, a frequency indicator, right? Although it wasn't always an indicator, but that was the typical interpretation. Uh, fast ring builds would come out fast. Slow ring builds would come out slow. Well, the idea of moving from the ring model to the channel model is to focus on the quality of the builds, not so much the frequency of the builds. And that, that doesn't mean we're not going to see weekly builds in dev channel, right? What used to be fast ring. I think we'll probably continue to see that pace. 20H2 may be a little bit different. It might be every two to three weeks. And then release preview, of course, will be dependent upon what's in there and how far it is to the release date. So be aware of that. Uh, you can read the background on that if you haven't already, but we are now tracking them under new headers, dev channel, beta channel, release preview channel. And so that means, of course, over on my day job, itprotoday.com, I have built up new trackers. I have a new 21H1 build tracker. I have a 20H2 build tracker for the beta channel. And I have a Windows 10 version 2004 build tracker for release preview channels. We see those cumulative updates release and get tested in that channel. Um, and then the other thing that came out was the, so when they announced some of these changes they re, and the release of the Windows 10 May 2020 update, which we talked about in the last episode, uh, the one thing that changed here, so Windows 10 20 H2, that's what's in the beta channel, right? That first release, 19042.330, included Microsoft Edge, the new Microsoft Edge. That is because 20H2 will be the first release update for Windows 10 that will include the new Microsoft Edge and not the legacy Microsoft Edge. So that is the beginning of that being what rolls out with the OS uh, as the initial experience. And then, of course, you have the most the every six-week updates to stable. And then depending on what Edge channel you're in, you can get more often stuff. So there's that. Um, so they're going to be testing out, that's the servicing technology, that's that monthly kind of routine cumulative update process. But of, of more significant news, when they made this announcement about 20H2 and including Edge, was this change right here. All right, previously, Windows 10 is known by a version number. That version number is based upon the year and month of release, or at least targeted release. So Windows 10 version 2004, aka the May 2020 update. Uh, Windows 10 version 1909 you know, the fall, the October update that we just had. So there was always 1909, 1903, 1809, 1803, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the big change that they, and every one of those had a code name that it was developed under, 21H1, 20H2, uh, 19H1, 19H2. You get my drift, right? You understand. So what they've done is they're going to drop the version numbers based on the month and year, and the version is going to be the code name, basically. So when this fall, when the up, when Windows, when 20H2 is done in development and it is released, that version of Windows 10 will be known as Windows 10 20H2. I don't know if they'll stick version in there or not. Um, or yeah, that will be version 20H2. So 20H2 becomes the version as well as having been the code name under development. So next year in the spring, when that new release comes out, it'll be Windows 10 version 21H1. Gives you a better idea of when it was released because a lot of times we never got the version. So version uh, uh, 2004 did not release in April. It released in June. May or June. So you get so there, this is a smart move. It removes a little bit of, dis, of uh, confusion. It allows them to set their documentation up properly ahead of time, and it puts everything on a very, very good track and line like that and to, to avoid confusion. So that's a good thing. That's a really good move right there. 
Um, <clears throat> I did write up over on my day job as well. I did a guide to the insider programs. I did an insider program for Edge, Office, and Windows. You can go read those as well. Uh, what else have we got going on? A new rollout for updates that'll be faster with an update baseline for Windows 10. If you're in the IT world, in the enterprise business world, this is important for you because it will help you map out how you can roll out Windows 10 and get through updates and get them ready and out to your folks. Uh, one bummer piece of thing about Windows 10 version 2004, it looks like the ability to defer Windows updates um, so, you know, you used to be able to take and see that a, a feature update was available and then you could defer it on Windows 10 Professional to like for like 365 days and on the enterprise side. On the consumer side, you could defer it for about 35 days before you had to reset it. So that is gone. Now, if you're on the enterprise or business side, you can use global, uh, group policy to control that and you can set those things and make it available, but they will not, that option will not be available in Windows Update anymore. It's been out for a couple years years that we've seen that but this is a big change so it's gonna people will no longer be able to defer those updates like they used to be able to all right let's talk about um, edge insiders so right now edge canary is still in version 85 as is edge dev both of them at two different builds in that sense they're pretty close to each other uh, edge beta is in version 84 right now and then edge stable is in version 83 I expect uh, we should be seeing a beta update fairly soon I think it's been a while I would expect that to go to version 85 when that happens, and then we should see Edge Stable moving into version 84 at its next update in the way the things sequence through there. Some other things going on in the Microsoft Edge world is the new Microsoft Edge add-ons website is now live. It's, it has been cleaned up. It's been better organized. It's easier to search. It's a much better layout as you're looking for extensions for Microsoft Edge. This is Microsoft's add-ons website. Of course, you can always go to the Chrome Web Store and give permission to your system to install them from others, install extensions from other stores as well. We saw the roadmap for the PDF reader in Microsoft Edge. That information came out, so they're, they're letting people know where they intend to go forward with the PDF reader. Uh, the Microsoft Edge search in sidebar feature has come out. I'm seeing it on Canary right now. So what this is, is you can highlight a piece of text on a web page. Um, and what I used to do, here's what I used to do. I used to copy that text, open a new browser tab or window, and search for that, right? Well, now I can highlight that text, and I can right-click on it and search in sidebar, and it opens a sidebar with the search results in your default search engine. So you can get the stuff right there, and when you click on it, it opens in a new tab or a new window. Easy easy access to being able to search for a, a, a phrase or something you're looking for. So I'm really, really happy to see that. And by the way, speaking of sidebars, I'm ready for sidebar tabs, right? I am ready to see sidebar tabs. As much as I want to see history sync and tab sync, open tab sync, I want to see those vertical tab bars. I want to see, because I've got a widescreen monitor here, and those ver it just screams for vertical tabs to be able to keep an eye on things. So anyway, hopefully soon. Um, what else is going on? The new Edge browser is being rolled out to Windows 7 and 8.1. This should be no surprise, right? It was intended to. It's available for it. It could always be downloaded to it, but now it's being rolled out via Windows Update. Uh, memory usage improvements in Microsoft Edge. There's a good blog post discussing how they've improved the memory usage in Microsoft Edge. Uh, Microsoft Edge Enterprise Sync services are now available. So now if you're on Microsoft 365 Business Premium, you can now sync between devices using your um, Active Directory uh, logins and accounts for your users. Password Monitor showed up. I noticed this when I was saving a password or creating a password. 
uh, it, a little blurb at the top of the window is I it had the save dialog for the username and password about checking it against this password monitor. You know, the one answer I can't get out of Microsoft is what database they're using to check your password against for breach. Um, so it, uh, some people came out and said, is it, I, have I been pawned? Uh, I don't know. They're not making it public where that is or who it is. It could, it could very well be their own internal thing, um, but right now they're not saying. And then uh, the Edge team did do about a month outside of build. They did do a blog post um, to uh, summarize what all the news was at Microsoft about Microsoft Edge at build 2020. All right, and then right behind that, the developer folks also did a top announcements for Microsoft Build. So you can catch up on both of those for Microsoft Edge and the developer tools that were announced at Build. Uh, again, another one at my day job, I wrote about Microsoft List. Microsoft gave me a, ten, temo, a demo tenant, and I was able to go in and poke around and take some screenshots and play with List. So I actually did a, uh, a screenshot walkthrough and hands-on of the setup and what you will see and a little bit of background on the tool and where it came from. Um, got a post here from uh, Edbot that I can't not help share. Um, I don't totally agree with the premise. His headline or the he now Ed doesn't write the headline, okay? I don't write the headlines to my stories. He doesn't write the headlines to his. Um, Microsoft stopped feeding bugs to a billion Windows 10 users. Well, the reality is a lot of those bugs don't end up when you're talking about the development side of, um, of Windows 10 in the insider channels that are out there, the dev, beta, and release preview instead of fast ring, slow ring, release preview ring. Um, so Ed is discussing, you know, that's not a good thing because it might think people will get too many bugs and stuff like that. I disagree uh, because your typical everyday person is not an insider already, so the channels are not going to change that in any way. But it is still a, a perspective that people, the right people need to be in those channels. It shouldn't be just uh, anything for anybody. Uh, Windows 10 fresh start feature is still in the Windows 10 May 2020 update. Now this came up for discussion because what happened was they deprecated it out of Windows security. Uh, previously Windows security was set up and it had this feature in there that you could click on and it was um, a fresh start and it would allow you to download from the internet a fresh copy of your install your version of Windows 10 and it would reinstall it and you'd have an option to keep stuff or not keep stuff. But it's still there. It has changed, and where is it at? It's in um, under Reset This PC. So if you go to Settings, Update and Security, Recovery, Reset This PC, and then you'll get the Fresh Start option there on May 2020 update or later, Windows 10 version 2004. Um, so, and then you get to choose Keep My Files or Not, and then uh, you, there is also an option to restore uh, pre-installed apps, unless you don't want them, and then you can get a complete free, clean restart, okay? Uh, Azure capability, Microsoft talking about the pandemic and how they've grown Azure resources. You know, I know we talk a lot of consumer stuff and not so much business stuff, but understanding how Microsoft does business when it comes to Azure is an important thing to have perspective on. Um, Microsoft is replacing its Skype Microsoft Store app with the standalone version. So this is the Win32 version of Skype that you would install by downloading from the Skype website and install on the desktop is going to be migrated into the store and take the place of uh, whatever it's either. I don't know if it's a, it's a universal Windows platform at UWP, but I don't know if it's Electron or, or React or what kind, what the underlying technology is. Just understand that the same version that you could download, quickly get updates on on the desktop and new features is migrating into the store to be the same version. That means you get features and updates a little bit faster. They don't have to update two types, two different versions of Skype to get that update out. 
similarity checker for Microsoft Editor uh, in Microsoft Word to help writers with originality and attribution. This is really cool because it says it's only available on certain SKUs of uh, Office 365, Microsoft 365. I'm really hoping that I can see it on my own Office 360, Microsoft 365 sub because I'm writing a lot of papers right now and I'm reading a lot, writing a lot of stuff from the web. And to make attribution easier, I'm a big fan of that because it will put attributions in the proper format, help you create your uh, works cited page, and use the proper MLA uh, formatting for that. So there's I got a couple different links to that, so you can go check it out and see what it's all about. And then the other one was kind of a surprise app. I have not had the chance to dig into this app yet, but it's Windows File Recovery. It's in the Microsoft Store. You can download it from there and install it, and it it. What it's intended to do is to help you recover lost files on, on disks or accidental deletions and things like that. So the description says, uh, did you accidentally delete an important file? Did you wipe clean your hard drive? Unsure of what to do about corrupted data? Windows File Recovery can help in that process. Photos, documents, videos, and more. Supports many file types. Uh, in, if you're recovering it from a camera or SD card, you got signature mode, which goes beyond the normal recovery process. So uh, pretty slick uh, to see this suddenly come out. Not a whole lot of fanfare. There's a couple different sites that have written about it. Uh, I have not yet. I will do a walkthrough of this this uh, this new app and post it on WindowsObserver.com. But just nifty to see a tool like that come out. Um, all right, so that's all of the Microsoft stuff. Apple. All right, so we know over the last couple of weeks, Apple's had a, a kind of a roller coaster of a ride, right? A couple of weeks ago, there was all the, the hoo-ha about them and Hey.com. Hey.com offers email addresses, uh, $99 a year. And the big argument was the reason why they were not being approved in the store, the big discussion was around the 30% or not, but they also weren't offering functionality in the app. You had to get the app, go buy the $99 a year email address, and then you could use the app. Well, Apple says... Nope, if an app is in the store, you got to be able to use it in some way. So basically, it boiled down to hey.com and the folks there creating a two-week trial so you can download the app, get your own hey.com email address, and try the two-week trial so you see how it all works before committing to it or not. So they solved that. And then Microsoft, and then Apple had WWDC. Uh, of course, they had to do it virtual just like uh, Microsoft had to do build virtual and just like Microsoft's going to do Ignite virtual. And um, so I've got a link here to a story about uh, eight things Apple didn't say at WWDC. So uh, one of them is boot camp, right? Because they announced Apple Silicon, which is basically an ARM chip that Apple is building themselves. And eventually all Mac hardware will transition to this chipset, which means basically an ecosystem where you can run iPad and iOS apps on Mac as well as on, across, on the other two places. So they're building their own silicon because of the silicon and ARM bootcamp won't work to run Windows because it won't be an x86 computer anymore. Uh, what else? HomePod supporting other HomePod supporting other streaming services besides Apple Music. It's going to get Spotify later this year. Um, so that's interesting because now you can go beyond Apple Music. Uh, iPhone and iPad. There is now an option to pick your default browser. There is an option to pick your default email client now on iOS 14. You do not have to use Safari or, my, or Apple's own email uh, app. You can choose your own. Huge, huge deal. Didn't get a mention, but people noticed it on the, the screenshots that were flying across the screen. Uh, Apple TV will soon stream 4K YouTube videos. 
Uh, BackTap for iOS is getting um, a feature where you can uh, double or triple back to your phone to do things quickly. Uh, FaceTime recognizing sign language. Force Touch for Apple Watch going away. iPad games to support keyboards and mice. Hello, hello, hello. And optimized AirPods charging and switching, right? So your AirPods will know what your device you're using actively. And if you're wearing AirPods and AirPods and they're paired with the device and you put that device down and pick up another one that also is paired with them, it will switch automatically. Pretty cool stuff. But so there's a lot going on with WWDC. Of course, all the beta releases, dev, developer beta releases are out for iPad OS, iOS, TV OS, watch OS, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I actually have the iOS 14 be developer beta on my iPhone 6 test device, so I'm actually poking around that now. <clears throat> Excuse me. Under the Google header, Google has Ad, Ad Meet, which is their online conferencing, video conferencing solution, to Gmail, so it's now easier to get connected via that. Uh, Chromebooks and Chrome OS is getting a little bit of... Um, because of re remote work and working from home. I think Chromebook may be playing a larger role in education from home as opposed to work, but it is out there. And then Google getting a little more uh, on top of auto-deleting your data. I don't know if you noticed recently, but if you've recently browsed to google.com, you might have seen a little prompt below the Google search bar uh, that says, choose when your data gets deleted. So they now have this new option where you can choose to auto-delete your own data uh, at a predetermined time frame. And so let me see at the google.com. Nope, it doesn't come up. So um, it will take you into settings and you can choose a time frame when your data, certain data will be deleted automatically. It's probably something I should do a, a hand-on as well for windowsobserver.com just to, to show where all that stuff is. So that's what's going on in the Google world. Across the miscellaneous stuff, uh, I, you know that hey.com email thing I mentioned about Apple and apps and App Store, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Well, turns out they had a feature where you could share uh, an email thread without the participant's knowledge. So if you're in a dialogue back and forth with somebody, you could get a link at any point in that discussion and share that with other people outside of that discussion without ever having gained the uh, okay of the, one of the person involved in the conversation. Uh, oh, by the way, at whatever point they pick that share at, it will always share whatever comes later too. So that one link will share the entire thread for as long as the thread exists and, along, and things that get added are part of that link even if they are after the fact. So that, as you might imagine, has been pulled from hey.com, so I'm not sure how they'll replace that. Now here's some real miscellaneous tech for me, okay? Here's two areas that is probably gonna, well, if you watch me on Twitter, you know I've been messing with this stuff, but this is a couple that is just not your norm with the, for the tech part of Rich Hay and Windows Observer and WinOBS. Um, Linux Mint 20, called Yuliana, has been released the Mate version, the XFCE version, and the Cinnamon version. Now the Cinnamon version, those are the interfaces, right? The XFCE, the Mate, and the Cinnamon are all uh, UIs. And I've been running Linux Mint uh, Cinnamon for a while now on, do you remember at the build, it must have been about 2015, I think, in San Francisco, they gave out the HP Spectre X360, the original HP Spectre X360, such a great device, still a great device. I'm running Linux Mint on that device as kind of a test bed to just test Linux out and poke around. It's, uh, Cinnamon is very Windowish, so a lot of things fit our, my mindset when it comes to being on Windows 10. Um, and so anyway, it's been a lot of fun using it. 
And then um, I'm going to tell you about something else that recently that Linux device has come in handy for. But Linux Mint 20, we've been on 19.3. Linux Mint 20 has been released. The ISOs are out. They're official. And I actually upgraded that device. It, it takes about 30 minutes to upgrade a device to, to the next version of Linux. It's pretty amazing how quick it is. Um, so I, it's up and running. Now, here's the other new device that came into my house this weekend, a Raspberry Pi. I ordered a Raspberry Pi 4B, Model B, um, in order to um, do some experimenting around DNS hole, black holing. So if you're familiar with DNS black holing, the idea here is that you use DNS with a, with a set of lists that blocks uh, bad ads, malware sites, uh, adult sites, uh, malicious sites, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you basically point your devices to that um, DNS server on your network, in this case on this Raspberry Pi, that's running uh, Debian, a version of Debian Linux, and uh, it does the DNS looks up for you. It will block what's in the block list so it, you avoid getting all the bad ads and junk like that. And it will pass along the stuff that is good and forward it to the, the next level of DNS lookup. And it has a um, whitelist, blacklist, and stuff like that. So it's very customizable. So that's called Piehole. Many of you will be familiar with the, the idea of Piehole. So I've got a link to Piehole. So right now, and then the thing I wanted to tie to Linux was AdGuard Home. So AdGuard Home is very much like Piehole, except it runs, it, this is a, a different take on it. It still runs on Linux. In fact, I could run it on the Raspberry Pi if I so chose, but I'm keeping them both separate right now. But you can run them both on the same network at the same time. They both work side by side. They don't get into arguments about each other, with each other. So because you point people to a certain IP, and that's how it reaches out to the IP. So um, I'm running this, and it's a great test. And, and in fact, I've, uh, I've pitched a story to... Uh, Woody's newsletter, um, and I'm going to be writing about this over the next couple weeks uh, for Tracy uh, for Woody's newsletter, and so that you can get a little bit because this has been a new exploration for me. I, I'd heard of uh, DNS black hole, and I'd heard of Pi Hole, and I, I'd never heard of AdGuard, but I discovered their browser add-in, their extension, which was quite good, and that got me looking around, and I found AdGuard Home. I've got links for you guys, so you don't have to worry about going anywhere. So, uh, you know, it's an experiment. It's it's kind of a new adventure. I'm It's exciting to be messing around with tech again in this sense, in this way. And the Pi is just a simple, small little device. I, I'll post pictures and stuff, but I'm going to uh, continue to focus on this. And it makes a huge difference because one of the things Pi Hole is doing, it's caching DNS. So on the, I look at a lot of stuff a lot of, uh, over and over again, right? Excuse me. So there's no need to query DNS every time. So it caches the result automatically and uses the cache before it goes out and sends it upstream. So pretty cool stuff there. So yeah, there you go, right? Miscellaneous Tech Rich A. Talking about Linux, talking about Raspberry Pi. Holy smokes, what's going on in the world? All right, that's cool stuff though. It's like I said, I've got links for you to go read about it and explore. And I'd love to hear any stories you all have about Piehole or AdGuard Home if you know about it and what you're, and what's going on there for you guys. And are you using something similar? What this allows me to do, by the way, is I don't have to have a browser extension installed because this is for the device, right? For the entire device's DNS is pointed at these the Raspberry Pi and Pi Hole or AdGuard Home when it's pointed to that. And so it's I don't have to have any extension. It applies to apps, it applies to everything on my device. So if you're given healthy and safe ads, you're not gonna get blocked. If you're if it's malicious or anything like that, it's not gonna happen. It's not gonna show up on a screen. All right, let's talk a little gaming. Uh, Xbox June 2020 update has come out easier library management. 
a few other tweaks to it. And unfortunately, we know in July there's some more tweaking coming. I'll talk about that in a minute. Electronic Arts announced their Starship Dogfighter Star Wars Squadrons. The, 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 there's been a huge a gameplay kind of introduction to it. There's been the, the trailer. It comes out October 2nd. It's available for pre-order now. This looks like a really cool game. It's going to have a multiplayer uh, five-on-five aspect. It's going to have a single-player uh, campaign-type mission where there'll be AI playing in the other roles. I'm really excited about this game. Uh, it, it, is, it is a Star Wars um, kind of franchise that we haven't had in a long time, the flying aspect. Another inside Xbox Series X opt- optimization story, talking about a game called The Ascent. And so what you learn there is not only about the game, but you learn about the hardware and how it's optimized. Uh, Xbox Series X embracing the full power of the console with games optimized for Xbox Series X. So this is a whole nother post uh, this is that trickle feed, right, of news we're getting about Xbox Series X uh, concerning the release that's coming this fall. Um, and then was the really bummer news this week. I know it was a bummer for a lot of people, right? You saw the announcement. You may have heard of the announcement. Microsoft is shutting down Mixer. Now, Mixer used to be known as Beam. Microsoft bought that company uh, quite a while ago from a young entrepreneur. They became part of Microsoft. They're no longer part of the company. Um, but um, the, the, the technology behind Beam at the time and now Mixer was the low latency gaming, the low latency chat, the low latency video streaming. Um, that is all getting introduced into other aspects of Microsoft and different technologies and services, right? But Mixer just wasn't doing it. It wasn't, you know, they brought in some big names, uh, Ninja, Shroud, uh, and things like that, but it just did not <clears throat> did not get market share. It did not get uh, mind share. So the decision was made to shut it down. It's the end of the fiscal year. Like I said, either this month or next month. I think it's July. Um, and so it allows Microsoft to cut costs. Satya Nadella has not been uh, someone who tolerates loss very long. So this is prob- probably related to that decision. Um, but I've got links here to the story from, from the main channel, from uh, the Xbox folks. What are the next steps for people on Mixer? Uh, and then uh, a welcome from Facebook Gaming. Because what they did was they basically made an arrangement with Facebook Gaming that if you're a creator on Mixer and already a partner, it's very easy to become a partner on Facebook Gaming. But what's great is I've seen Twitch making Mixer partners partners almost immediately. So been watching the streams and watching people's reactions for that. So a lot of folks that are making the move to Twitch, which is owned by Amazon, uh, will are be, getting picked up as uh, as uh, partners, and that's terrific affiliates. So I, I do hope everybody lands safely. It looks like most of the team is staying around the employee side. They're being moved into different parts of Xbox, um, so they're still sticking around. So I do have one other follow-up story from the creator of Mixer, the co-founder. He talked with GeekWire, and so it's some interesting background. And he, he agrees with the decision, ultimately. So if you want to read up a little bit about the background there from him, you can do that. All right, let's move on to space, right? It's time to talk space. What do we got going on? San Francisco startup called Astra. They're going for their first orbital rocket launch in July. Another private company targeting orbital rocket launches. So that's cool and exciting. Uh, Also, this was an interesting story a couple weeks ago. NASA announced that they plan to put NASA astronauts on Blue Origin and Virgin Galactic suborbital flights. So I have to think that part of this is experimentation, Part of this is experiential, right? Getting on a rocket, riding that rocket up into, even if it is suborbital, 
uh, experiencing that weightless, that true weightlessness rather than the, the vomit comment. So it's interesting that to see this, and I guess they'll be doing some experiments and things like that, but, but now NASA astronauts will get to experience a little bit of that life before they actually climb on a rocket, whether it be a SpaceX rocket or uh, a Boeing rocket, eventually ULA or whatever it might be. Uh, so very interesting to see that. NASA also announced that they are naming their headquarters after hidden figure character, not character person, real person, the first black female engineer at NASA, Mary Jackson. So for perspective, if you watch the movie Hidden Figures, um, this is the character who learned how to program the mainframe. And uh, what's her name? Catherine um, or Mary Jackson. But um, what was what was uh, Octavia? Octavia... Uh, Hang on, I've got to figure this out. Otherwise, I'm going to go bonkers. Um, Hidden Figures is what it was called. And uh, her name was Octavia Spencer. Oh, I've got it backwards. All right, hold on a minute. Um, gosh, oh, I did have it wrong. Okay, so Mary Jackson is, um, that was, um, oh my goodness, come on, people. Where are the ca um, full cast and crew? Um Oh, there it is, Janelle Monae. So, so she was the one that was invited to kind of go in the wind, the wind tunnel, and help figure out why panels kept blowing off of the capsule. Uh, that who's who, Mary Jackson, not who programmed the IBM. So that was Octavia Spencer. Janelle Monae played Mary Jackson, uh, whereas uh, um, Tarja P. Henson played Katherine Johnson. So, getting named uh, main headquarters in Washington D.C. will be named after the first black female engineer, black engineer, female engineer. Two big achievements, Mary Jackson. Uh, and then the launch of the next Mars rover has been delayed due to a contamination concern on the ground. While they, they were just recently getting it bottled up and, and encapsulated in its fairing for launch on ULA launch, it's going to launch on an Atlas V. That has been pushed into late July now because of a contamination in one of the, the connecting um, uh, tubes that go into the thing for for uh, fluid uh, fuel and things of that nature that keep it uh, cool and safe inside the shroud of the um, of the the for the launch vehicle. All right, and so SpaceX had a bit of a scrub week this week. They scrubbed the Starlink and Black Light Black Sky satellites a couple more. They need to check the rockets and things like that. Weather isn't the greatest at this time of year. Um, but they are preparing. So this week we expect to have a couple launches. They have a GPS launch coming up scheduled, and then they have this rescheduled Starlink and Black Sky satellite launches. So we might have two SpaceX launches this week. The other thing is, is SpaceX is has got a sign-up sheet now. If you're interested in potentially being a beta tester for the Starlink Internet service, there's a form you can go fill out, give them your zip code here in the United States, and they, you could potentially get offered a chance to test the service out as a beta tester. Uh, I think they're looking for more northern latitudes initially, but we'll wait and see. I'm, I've thrown my name in the hat. Hey, who wouldn't, right, to be able to test out something like that? And then on the Boeing front, um, Boeing has had a, you know that they're having their challenges, right? So we know that they are, are retargeting an, an orbital flight test for late this year. Um, but then they just, in the last couple of weeks, have totally reshuffled all of their space program stuff. So the guy who's been managing the commercial crew work for the last nine years is going to become the ISS program manager uh, because that, that guy, Mark McQueen, is retiring. And then so that means somebody else is going to go be in charge of commercial crew. So on top of all the changes and all the shuffle and all the stuff that's been going on with them trying to get Starliner flying and all of that kind of thing, they are now shuffling around people in those jobs. Hopefully, it won't be too major of a of a of a shift because these people will, should be fairly familiar with what's going on. 
All right. In our closing stuff, a couple notes. Uh, APOD, if you've never heard of the Astronomy Picture of the Day, it celebrated its 25th birthday here recently. Um, and so that's a great thing to have on your feed, right? You get a new picture every day. They've got apps out there that you can use it for your background. And not everyone's a perfect background type image, but there's some really cool stuff that comes out on the iPod. It's part of my RSS feeds. And so I will be, I always watch iPod to see what's coming out. Uh, and then I learned something this week that I didn't know what it was, but I do it. Although I'm trying not to do it anymore. Doom scrolling. So doom scrolling is this idea where you sit on your device, on your social media account, and you just keep scrolling and scrolling and scrolling, hoping for good news, hoping for better news, hoping the bad news goes away. Well, unfortunately, we live in a day and age of a pandemic, uh, political situations, all this stuff that's going on that doesn't lend itself to good news unless you build something in there that you're seeing the good news. Something I've worked really hard recently on my social media account on Twitter is to create is to add more goodness in not 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 blinders okay that's not what i'm talking about here but i'm adding people in that tend to focus on positive as opposed to negative all the time uh, because i can that's i have the ability to make that choice so i've been doing that so doom scrolling that's what i learned it was i got a link to an, an ars technica article about it go read it it's it cannot be good for your mental health and so they got some recommendations there uh, from a personal health perspective, I'm dealing with some back issues. Um, everybody remembers Build, right? We're Build with some pretty long days in front of the computer, uh, whereas we would normally be in person at that event and walking around. Uh, I had I had a couple 10-plus hour, 12-plus hour days in front of the computer for Build that those two days, as I'm sure many of you did as well. Um, what it did for me, though, is exacerbated an issue that I had that wasn't causing a problem, which is basically I have a herniated disc between my C6 and C7 vertebrae. A herniated disc means it is the, this rubbery disc that goes between your bones and your back vertebrae has, has kind of uh, slipped out of its mold, slipped out of its seam, and it's sleeping, seeping out of the vertebrae, and it's impacting the nerve of my root there that expands out across my back, shoulder, and my arm. So my symptom was numbness in my arm uh, and pain in my back. Ultimately, through the process of seeing my doctor, getting some good inflammatories to help take care of the inflammation, getting an x-ray to show the bone structure, an MRI to show the, the fleshy tissue structure, diagnosis, herniated disc, C6, C7 spine. Currently waiting to talk to a neurologist. Those are the folks that uh, do surgery. Neurology, they do surgery on your back, around your spine and your nerves and all that kind of stuff. So waiting to hear that, but uh, actually in pretty good shape because I've got good anti-inflammatory that I can take as needed to help keep that inflammation from kind of taking over as it did for a few weeks there. So if you're a prayer, I appreciate the prayers. If, if you're about good vibes, then the vibes will be appreciated as well. All right, that's it. Episode 11 in the can, just two weeks after the last episode. I'm kind of really proud about that. I think it's the first time in a long time that I've recorded just two weeks afterwards. Again, the goal is let's get this in a routine. Let's make this a thing, right? Let's shoot for two more weeks from today and see how that goes as well. Um, so I will close with this. Be kind to each other out there and wear a mask. Don't, wear, don't always just wear a mask for yourself, although you do gain benefits from it, but wear a mask for others, okay? Stay safe. Blessings. Take care, and we'll see you on the next episode of Faith, Tech, and Space.